So my friends, last week, Chad shared that as we trust God, as we obey God, then we are empowered and we're equipped to share the gospel, to be disciple-making disciples who are gospel-fluent. And he defined the gospel in terms of our Savior, and this is a slide he used last week. The kingdom of God has come near in Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have crushed that serpent's head that he discussed, and death has indeed been defeated. And Jesus has restored the four relationships for which we were made, the relationships with ourselves, with others, with nature, and with God. And so now the challenge is for all of us to transition from this definition of the gospel to what it actually looks like when the gospel is put on display by Christ's church. So today's sermon moves from Christ bearing our burdens, burdens that we were never intended to bear, moving from that to bearing one another's burdens, putting the words into action. And when we take that head knowledge and we let the Holy Spirit work in us and transform that into heart knowledge, we become doers of the word. We become the hands and feet of Jesus, acting out the call upon each one of our lives. As God's image bearers, we become burden bearers in the relationships that God blesses us to have. So as you might expect, there are several passages in the Bible encouraging us to bear each other's burdens. For example, the entire chapter 12 in Romans is a terrific description of what it looks like for living out the gospel on a daily basis. But today we're gonna pare that down a little bit. We're gonna look at five verses, which is just plenty to be getting on with. And I wanna remind you, I've tried to caution you before. Remember how geeky I am about the Bible. And when I was working on this sermon and I was digging into every nuance of the Greek and I was just getting so frustrated with the English and I'm venting to Chad by text, right? And I'm, I'm like, English is not adequate. And you know, Chad always says that he's gonna write his own translation of the Bible. That would have really helped me last week. <laughs> So this is what my sermon looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's this tangled mess of my translation with the Greek and with the English. So in good Bible geek fashion, I'm taking you all with me. And we're gonna work through this today. So we're gonna do some Bible translation today. We're gonna look at what my buddy Paul meant in Romans 12, verses nine through 13. If you have your Bible, open up to that. If you've got your Bible app, get it going. They're gonna be on the screens here as well. Romans 12, nine through 13, as I read from the NIV. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So when Paul discusses these virtues that he expects to see in all believers, he begins here with love. In fact, Paul emphasizes love in many of his writings. In Galatians 5, love is the first fruit of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, and love matters the most. And in Romans 5, the love of God in Christ is what brings about our salvation. And so, love is the response that we sinners have for God as we begin to understand the burden that Christ bears for us. So, love. Here in Romans 12, the original Greek in verse nine, love is a noun, it's not a verb. And in fact, there's no verb. We insert verbs in English so we can try to understand what Paul says. So while the English language really is not adequate, Paul means something kind of like this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Another way to say it would be, let love be sincere. Let love be genuine. And in the Greek, this is agape love. This is that selfless, steadfast love that Christ has for us. In agape love, he gave up his life for ours. So let this love be at the forefront of the lives that God expects us to live. This selfless love spans across all of Paul's instructions here for us to live by in the rest of the passage. These imperatives for us to act out while we bear one another's burdens. And from this point on, Paul encourages us with verbs. Each verb is far more than a one-time thing. The actions here, all of the verbs here that you saw on my notes, they're all continually active. They're not what I just read to you in English. So when you see them, think about putting the word continuously in front of them. Or think about putting ing at the end of each of them. So, why does this matter? Like, what does grammar have to do with bearing one another's burdens? Well, it's everything. It has everything to do with it. Knowing that the action that we are supposed to take is directed to be continuous matters. It means everything to us as believers. It means that our work of bearing each other's burdens is not completed. It's not done. We do not hate evil one time and then we're fine. We do not cling to good one time and then we're done. This burden bearing is a 24-7 operation. Living out the gospel, being gospel fluent. This is constant for us. This is love in action. And for each one of Paul's imperatives in this passage, please indulge me, indulge Bible geeky me, because I wanna express each one of them in the ING action form. So acknowledging that our love must be genuine, 
let's look at the burden bearing we are called to do. First, hating what is evil. The action here is strong. This verb is stronger than hate. Imagine that. It's more like utterly abhor evil. Paul conveys that true love involves deep loathing for all that is evil. Evil will never benefit God's people. The person who truly loves with a deep fervor will have a holy hatred for every evil. So continuously come to the defense, continuously protect those who are touched by evil, standing in the gap, standing up for those who cannot stand for themselves because of what evil has done. Abhorring evil, hating what is evil. Joined to this corresponding action, we find clinging to what is good. This is, this is the closest sort of connection. It's not simply like a, a casual approval, oh, that was good. This is, this is if Christians are committed to a way of goodness, another fruit of the Spirit, by the way. If, if we're committed to goodness, then our very lives have to be like wrapped in it, like so closely tied to it that we're glued to it, we're adhered to it, we're bonded to it. It's like super glue. So gorilla gluing yourself to good. <laughs> Clinging to what is good. Next, being devoted to one another. Now this time, the love here. This is the philo love. This is the brotherly love for which those Jesus followers in the first century were known. God was their father. They were all brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is the kind of love that was demonstrated in the early church, demonstrated in the passage that Mark read to us from Acts on the day of Pentecost. This united the Christ followers in a way that people in that day only saw, they only experienced this in a family unit. Being devoted is giving preference to one another in a warm and affectionate way that, that you would do in your faith family. Esteeming family, being devoted to one another in love. And closely connected to this devotion is the instruction for honoring one another above yourselves. Okay, so here think about like leading by example, being eager to show respect for one another. Let each of us generously consider others worthy of more honor than ourselves. So this is a true measure of humility. This is a true measure of selflessness. It can be like as kind and simple as opening the door for another person. It can be as deeply emotional as celebrating someone else's joy when maybe you're not seeing joy in your own life at that time. Genuinely rejoicing in the good of others, honoring one another above yourselves. 
Now, long ago, friends, when I was working in the corporate world, I worked in product marketing for a software company. And I'm gonna let you in on a little tip that advertising people and marketing people use all the time. When you read, your brain looks for verbs. Subconsciously, you don't even know you're doing it. Your brain is looking for the action that it's supposed to take. And advertisers are very keen on this. They are very strategic in how they word things in order to motivate your behavior. So keep this in mind as you read this next instruction from Paul and see what happens when you consciously seek out the verbs. Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Okay, so if your mind is picking up on the verb only, what do you see? Be lacking in zeal, right? As though it would, you would be deficient in diligence. The words like never, words like lacking. In the English language, these are negative terms. So let's do a little advertising. Let's flip it to a positive. Let's say it this way so that your mind will see the verbs. Being enthusiastically ready and spiritually filled at all times to serve God. Paul calls for complete devotion to the Lord, complete obedience with total faith in God's promises. This is bearing the yoke of the Lord. And just for fun, just for my Bible geeky fun, take a look at this clause, keeping your spiritual fervor. Okay, so this is the fun part of Greek. There's a fun part. Early Christians believed that this phrase, spiritual fervor, in the Greek, it sounded to their ear like boiling water. So the phrase is pneuma zeo, pneuma zeo, pneuma zeo. In their minds, that sounded like boiling water. Okay, so it might be like Paul was kind of saying, the spirit boiling in you. <laughs> we might say it a little differently. We might say something like this. The indwelling Holy Spirit of God bubbles up in you when you are on fire for the Lord. So be especially aware of the Spirit speaking to you, guiding you, nudging you. You know, if the Holy Spirit nudges you to come alongside somebody, obey that. I will share with you an instance when things were tough in our lives. We were going through a rough spot financially and with our kids and in our home. And my sweet husband, Mike, goes to the grocery store. He's at Walmart. And the Holy Spirit nudged a woman. She was so nervous. They would, they would see each other passing on the aisle and then they'd go down and pass the next aisle. She worked up that courage because God gave her a word for Mike. And she approached him. She's like, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I have a word for you. And Mike was open to that. And the Holy Spirit was working in him as well. And she said, God sees you. God knows what you're going through. And she shared God's words of encouragement for him at a time in our lives when we needed to hear that. Keeping your spiritual fervor, enthusiastically serving and bearing one another's burdens. 
Next, Paul goes on to say, being joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. These three clauses are characteristic of those first Jesus followers. Paul writes about being joyful in hope when believers had little to be joyful about, little to be hoping for at a time when they were being persecuted for their faith. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, they rejoiced in Jesus always. Um, In his letter to the Colossians, they knew Christ in themselves as the hope of glory. Paul writes about being patient in affliction. Now, this is not patiently waiting passively for trouble. This is an active verb in the Greek. It's it's a patient that's constantly active. It's steadfast endurance. As Paul writes to Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So we are to remain in Christ, standing with someone as they face trouble, persecution, affliction. And then Paul writes, being faithful in prayer. And the Greek in this is really forceful, it's really fierce. Paul is keen on constant prayer, not the occasional petition to God or the arrow prayer. He's he's saying here, Persevere, be like the persistent widow in Jesus' parable in Luke, tenaciously pray to God and make it a habit to keep that dialogue going with him. Being expectantly joyful in hope, steadfastly patient in affliction, persistently faithful in prayer. Paul writes, Sharing with the Lord's people who are in need, practicing hospitality. Sharing is koinonia in the Greek. This is the fellowship that occurs when we're contributing and participating in each other's lives. The early church took a deep interest in each other's needs as we heard Mark read from Acts. From Pentecost on, believers are to make one another's necessity as if it were our own need. So join in with someone in need, be their associate, be their advocate. In someone else's job search, make it your job search on their behalf. And it doesn't even have to be someone that you know. When Paul commands that we're practicing hospitality, this actually stems from philo love. The word for hospitality is philoxenia. It's the love of strangers as though friends. So practicing this love for strangers, it requires an ever readiness. It requires a willing heart, participating in someone's needs, practicing hospitality. Paul gives us examples of how grace provides the structure for our actions with one another in our Christian community. And this is the way we are to respond to that grace of God that outruns the avalanche of sin 
that Chad quoted last week. Grace that orders our lives. And God desires that our actions conform to his grace, that we extend grace and mercy to one another as he extended it to us. And this is nothing new for the people of God. You can look all the way back in Exodus 19, for example. Israel is to respond to God's gracious deliverance by conforming to God's covenant so that they could be the people of God, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. In the New Testament, you can look at Matthew 16 as an example. Jesus expresses the cost of discipleship, that we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That his grace and mercy would cost our Savior his very life. Considering the action that Jesus took for all of us, can we not extend grace and mercy to others, to just one other someone? And Paul's admonitions here with all of the continuous acting verbs, these help us to live out the gospel. And my buddy Paul, he helps us live out our, way, our lives in ways that are appropriate to how God has always dealt with his rebellious creation. We do not live out the gospel to somehow earn God's favor. We do not live out the gospel thinking that life will be easier, right? Anything but. We respond to God's grace in trust, in faithfulness, in obedience, and our hearts are filled with gratitude for our Savior delivering us from the slavery of sin. So that relationship between grace and action is incredibly important to us. And these action verbs are continually empowering us to share God's grace in Jesus Christ. So Paul calls us constantly to interact, to share, to serve, to honor fellow Christians in love, bearing one another's burdens selflessly. That's Christian unity. That's humility. Recognizing that we are all focused on Jesus as the head of First Press. This is that need for us to act together in harmony by our attitude, by our action. So put the gospel that you've heard into action, continuous action. In relationship with God's creation, walk the walk, live in a way that matches what you say. This is such good practice for us all. It's so convicting when I check myself in this. Do I, do I see someone's need and think, oh, someone else will take care of that? Do I practice hospitality with strangers or am I hoping somebody else is gonna take care of that? Am I joyfully honoring someone above myself when really I've got my own problems? If I'm gonna say that God loves me, am I gonna demonstrate that God loves you? 
If I want to glorify God and trust him and obey him, I will. Amen? Amen. Please pray with me. Holy Spirit, come and fill us with action. Fill our mouths with your words. Grant us courage to bear one another's burdens, to come alongside one another in times of persecution, affliction, trouble, whatever that might be. Lord God, let us be all of the action verbs that you speak to us through Paul. Let us be gospel fluent. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.